I'm Chris, I'm one of the teachers, and uh, I'm really excited about that series uh, that we're going to be starting. You know, it's oftentimes very difficult when you come to church, you don't really want to talk about money, right? It's kind of an uncomfortable thing. Uh, I promise you it's also uncomfortable to teach about from the stage, uh, but we believe that, um, that God's Word speaks clearly about money. You know, Jesus, uh, one of the, the most topics that he ever taught on was on money, believe it or not, more than most any other topics that he had, uh, some 2,000 verses in scripture on money. And so we believe that uh, if the Bible's talking about it, if Jesus talks about it, it's worth our time and our attention. And uh, we believe that the Bible is uh, God's very word. His, uh, his Bible is living, it's active, it's um, our roadmap, it, it do- guides our paths, it directs our lives. And so uh, we're going to dig into God's Word, and we're going to uh, get into what it has to say about getting the right mindset when it comes to finances. Uh, if you're super uncomfortable, we have online service now. You can go watch it online and come back in three weeks. No, just kidding. Please come back. Uh, we'd love to have you next week. Uh, but today, we're finishing our series uh, really kind of on another uh, tough tough topic, if you will. We're, we're looking at anthropology, and uh, for those of you who maybe have been with us on the journey over the last few weeks, uh, we're going to finish that series today. Maybe you're here with us for the first time. Uh, you're jumping in at the last message of that series, so we'll give you just a little bit of a context of what we've been talking about. In week one, uh, we saw that God created, created heaven and earth. He created uh, men and women, and there was distinction, right? There was distinction between man and woman in creation, and it was on purpose. And uh, what, when God does something, he does it very well. In fact, when he created man and woman, uh, he said that this is my creation, this is very good. And so we saw that even though there are differences in uh, men and women, you know, maybe physically or emotionally or, or whatever it might be, there is one thing that unifies, that is a unifier when it comes to man and woman, and that we are all equal spiritually. And so God used this uh, amazing picture in creation to, uh, to unify those roles together and to uh, really elevate all of mankind in the process. And so there's not this lesser than, there's not one role that is better than the other. God actually did it uh, so that they would complement one another. And so then week two, last week we talked about, we gave our best shot for those of us men who were teaching uh, to teach on biblical womanhood. So hopefully you had grace for us if if you were, I think they maybe showed video here, but uh, with Tracy. But we talked about uh, Proverbs 31, right? There's this beautiful picture uh, that is communicated on on the, the, the strengths and the qualities that women have that are far different than those strengths and qualities that men have. Uh, I've been married for 17 years, and I literally do not know where I would be without my wife. She's very strong. Uh, she's very why she has a lot of wisdom she loves the lord and in some aspects she she leads in our home and so i've been truly blessed and honored to have her uh, if it were just me running my kids it would be a, a dumpster fire every single day uh, so thank god for my wife and my mom my mom raised me and she was a proverbs 31 woman and i think because of her uh, there was some foundation to know jesus and to love jesus uh, and so we talked about that last week and today we're going to wrap up the series, and we're going to be taking a look, uh, I believe, a biblical picture of manhood, um, what God calls and demonstrates through Jesus Christ for, uh, for those of us who are men. And so uh, one thing that I want to preface this with today, uh, this is not us saying that women cannot 
lead. It's not saying that women can't be in positions of leadership. It's not saying that they can't be in positions of authority. It doesn't even mean that they can't be in positions of leadership within the home. But what I, I believe is there is a divine calling, and this is kind of the, uh, maybe a, a definition of what biblical manhood would be, uh, is the divine calling to take primary responsibility for protection, provision, and for servant leadership. And so I think every single one of us in one way, shape, or form is impacted uh, by the role of a man in our life. It could be uh, in marriage. It could be in relationship. It could be a father figure. And so hopefully today we're going to get a really uh, good understanding of what God's Word has to say uh, about manhood. And I want to I want to humbly stand before you today and say in 17 years of marriage and in 14 years of parenting, I've probably failed 99.99% of the time. Uh, But God is a gracious God. He's a God that wherever we're at in our relationship, wherever we're at, whether we've lacked in leadership or we need to grow in leadership, God is there waiting for us and he's wanting us to take the next step. And so I'm excited to share with you uh, how he's done that in my life and you know, maybe encourage you to see how Jesus modeled it so that he can impact your life as well. Let's pray. Father, we uh, love you and we thank you and we offer this time to you, Lord Jesus. God, there are marriages represented in this room, some that need healing and restoration. God, there are relationships with fathers and sons and daughters uh, that are in need of your touch and guidance as well. God, there is uh, a need that we have in relationship with you, our spiritual father, that that we need to uh, accept the free gift that you've given us, your son Jesus Christ, his life, death, and resurrection. So God, wherever we are at today in our journey, would you help us to take the next step? Would your word become alive and active as you say that it is? And would it correct, teach us how to become closer to you? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Sweet. Let's uh, jump right into today. We're going to quickly kind of breeze through what I believe are five marks or five indicators of uh, mature masculinity, of biblical manhood, specifically as it has been demonstrated uh, by Jesus. And I think the most important thing for us to understand uh, as followers of Jesus Christ, if you've put your faith in him, we need to understand this main thing first, and it's this is that mature masculinity or biblical manhood doesn't assume the authority of Christ over others, but instead what it does is it advocates for it. You see, I need, we need to understand that the number one authority in all of heaven and of earth here on life is Jesus Christ. And so he is the head, he is the spiritual head, he is the authoritarian. What he says is our guideline, his word speaks to us. And so in order for us, man or woman, to be in any form of leadership, we need to understand that Jesus Christ is the head over all things. And when we can understand that he is the authority, that all authority is under him, I then have the ability to lead in my relationships. I have the ability to submit under the leadership of Jesus Christ and his word in how I lead my wife, in how I lead my kids, in how I lead at the workplace. Everything, every power, every authority falls under the headship of Jesus Christ. We read about this in Ephesians chapter 1. It says, speaking of Jesus, now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world, but also 
in the world to come. God has put, please listen to this, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things. You see, the last thing that we need in, uh, in church, the last thing that we need in relationships or in marriages is for a, a, a father or a, a head of the household or a male in leadership domineering and taking uh, you know, Jesus' words or even parts of Scripture to manipulate it into a way that puts him above Jesus Christ. So that's very, very important. And once we now understand that everything that we do as humans and as men, we are under the authority of Jesus. And then that now allows us to see how he models this in his life and how we then can apply it to our everyday lives. That goes to the the second point, which is mature masculinity doesn't necessarily initiate every action. It doesn't uh, have its hand in every single uh, circumstance or decision. But it fills the responsibility, manhood fills this responsibility, I believe it's something that is ingrained in us, that to, to provide a general pattern of initiative. Uh, I think the clearest application of this part of biblical manhood would, is what we find in marriage. Uh, again, there are relations, uh, marriage is a, a dual partnership kind of relationship, and so it's two roles coming together, but I do believe that there is a spiritual role, a spiritual role that the man of the home needs to take responsibility for. He needs to lead and point his family to Jesus. He needs to take time, uh, fathers, to point your kids to Jesus, to train up a child in the way of the Lord. Uh, it, it takes our responsibility responsibility to do mentoring. It's our responsibility to rally the troops together. I have a, a, we have a party of five. It's like a, it's a full team now, you know, and, and we have to come together and there is a, a responsibility that I have that says, listen, I'm going to encourage and empower conversations. Now, th- there are times, and, and I'll be honest with you, this, this has been a difficult thing for me, even as a pastor, even as a, a father, even as a husband, because my wife, she's very, very strong spiritually. I mean, she is a woman of God, and she has always been a strong woman of God. And, and sometimes I've had a tendency to be a little bit lazy. <laughs> and so my wife has had to say to me, listen, you are the spiritual head of the home. You need to lead spiritually. And there's something really, really humbling about that. And so I believe with all of my heart that there is a responsibility, not to say that everything is my way, not to say that I'm going to usurp my authority and say every decision that's made is my decision, everything that we do is the way that I want it to be. No, what it's saying is is that I am going to empower the initiative. I'm going to center, hopefully, center this family dynamic, this relationship, fill in the blank, this work dynamic. I'm going to empower people to be pointed to Jesus. You see, it's not just men leading at home. We're also called to to fulfill the great commission, right? It's, It's found in Matthew 28 where Jesus literally said, before he ascends into heaven, go and do what? Make disciples, Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Spirit, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so what that means is that we have a responsibility to empower conversations. And my hope for you is that you, we don't just come on Sunday. We have, as Brian mentioned, we have all kinds of resources to empower conversations at home, to start the topics and the conversations with your kids. And all you have to do is go to PursueGod.org. And there are so many things that just can start an initiative. 
And, and dads, maybe you haven't done this over time. This is the perfect time to start. Because I'm telling you, people in your family are hungry. People in the world are hungry for a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, I, I think Jesus did this very well. You see, Jesus was God. Jesus, uh, he came to the earth and he was performing miracles and he was pointing people back to God and, and he was a great uh, leader and he got people engaged. And you see, he could have done whatever he wanted to do. He was God. And so uh, there was this story, if you remember, when there were a lot of people, a lot of people were coming and, and it says Jesus saw them coming to look for him. And it says, turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all of these people? And I love this, what it says. It says that he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. You see, Jesus already knew what he was going to do. He was going to provide a miracle. But what he did was, is he engaged Philip, he engaged his followers to be thinking about the process. Because he surely told them as he was teaching them and leading them and guiding them, one day I will be leaving you. And so he could have said, listen, Philip, just sit down and watch the Lord God at work. Now this is going to be my way. I've got it all figured out. I'm going to do it the way that I want to do it. No, what he said was, what, where can we do this? Where can we buy this food? And so he began to get him thinking about the process. You know, Jesus was with his disciples for three years. Three years and he left them and he empowered them to continue the ministry. And that's how the church started. You see, we, we have this ability. Jesus didn't micromanage his disciples. We're not to micromanage our families. What we're called to do is to begin the initiative and we're, we're able to begin to lead well from within. You know, I think of, uh, I think of Bill Russell. He was one of the arguably one of the greatest defenders in NBA history. He played for the Boston Celtics. Uh, I'm a Utah Jazz fan. Is anybody else in here in a Jazz fan? Please let this be the year. You know what I mean? Like, come on. This has got to be the year, right? But we're probably going to get let down. It's okay. I grew up in the 90s, and I'm still, I mean, John Swanee's not here, but I gave him crap last time. He's, he's from Chicago. Can we say boo? Boo, right? Pushing off Jordan. We hate him. You know, all that good stuff, whatever. But we're talking about Bill Russell here. So, what he did was, is he won some nine championships. Two of those, he was actually a coach and a player. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. So he would take a timeout and he would coach his team. He would have practice where he was leading this. And I think this is just this awesome picture where we have the ability in our lives, if you're a father or if you're a husband or, or whatever it might be, we have this opportunity to be a player coach. You know, where we're like giving direction, where we're instilling direction, God's words, God's derivatives, God's guidance for our kids, but then we're also in the weeds with them doing it. Um, I'm also, I love, I'm a Utah guy, and, and we like to take care of our grass. Anybody else like, like that? I'm really kind of weird about your grass. Anybody in here? Yeah, okay, good. There's two of us. So we're the ones that you guys are always driving by me like, man, they got really good grass. I wonder what they're doing. I'm not going to give you my secrets. You have to figure it out on your own. Anyways. I do not want my kids mowing the lawn. I have a 14-year-old. I just don't want them mowing the lawn. I want laser stripes on that thing. Like, I worked at a golf course, and I am honed in. I mean, you just come on over. I'll show you. My wife one day, she said, you have a 14-year-old. Why are you coming in complaining about how hot it is when you're mowing the lawn, right? Send your 14-year-old. I'm like, you stay out of my space. That's my space, right? You get out of that. So I got to thinking, so I gave him a weed eater instead of the lawnmower, right? Everyone hates to weed eat, right? So now he's learning how to weed eat. Well, that's a good start. But here's, here's what I'm thinking about this in my life. I mean, I have 50% of my kids' time during the school year is at home, 
and 50% of their life is in school. They are going to learn somewhere. Whether I'm leading them as a father or we're leading them as a family, they're going to get being led somewhere else. And so we have this responsibility to take initiative to point our kids and family to Jesus. And so that is, that is a non-negotiable. I think that is a weight that we all should have. And here is the thing. If you haven't started, this is the perfect time. Empower a conversation. Your kids will value it. Your spouse will value it. Your, your coworkers will value it. We have to take the initiative. Let's go to the, the third, the third uh, mark of mature masculinity, biblical manhood, is that it grows out of love and not out of self-assertion. You know, I think one of the reasons why we cringe at the idea of manhood is because men, believe it or not, we have uh, brought a negative attention to authoritarianism. Like this, we, it's our way, like it's this bravado, like, you know, I'm a macho, macho man, you know, whatever that song is, like, I'm just this, it's all about me, right? And I want to elevate my gifts, I want to elevate how this benefits me. And I don't think that this is just a man problem, I think this is a sin problem. Really, I think what we do is we are so self-focused that it's all about us, our time, our world, social media, our lives, what can we gain in life, that we miss out on the opportunity to love others. Do you know what Jesus said? When he was questioned and he was asked about the most important commandment, Jesus said something very, very profound. He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. The Shema out of Deuteronomy chapter 6. He said, do those things. But he said, this is equally as important. He said, love others. Love others. You see, we have this mentality that it's all about us. And every we elevate our, our needs, how can this benefit us? When in reality, that's not the way the kingdom of heaven works. That's not the way that Jesus works. Instead, what he does is he elevates others, loving others. We get a model of this in Philippians chapter 2. He says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. And isn't it just so true that we just go on in life and it's just all about us? The need for more, the want for more. How is this life going to benefit me? But that is opposite of what we're called to do. Men, what you're called to do in your home is to love your wife better. You're called to love your kids better. You're called to nurture your relationship. You're called to lead in the workplace. You're called to have the, question, or have the conversations when the Holy Spirit prompts you to say something to someone. But oftentimes we sit idly by because we don't want to rock the boat. You see, we are called to love others. Not to be selfish, not to be vain, not to, to, be, humble or, or, or to be humble and not to have it be all about us. This is something that we've been working on with, with our kids. It's just like, man, it's just all go. Everything is just all about them all the time, you know? And it's like, it gets old. It gets old flushing the toilet, you know? <laughs> when it, it's just, everyone's laughing because it's so true. It's like, it gets old when you got to pick up. It, it's not about us. It's about others. And you see, I want my kids to model Christ where, where they are, God-honoring in the way that they love mom and dad. God-honoring in the way that they do things. When they go to school, that they're God-honoring, right? And the way that we do that is we model that in love. And everything, we model it in love. 
Mature masculinity, the next thing is, it's a little bit related. It expresses itself not in the demand to be served, but really in the strength to serve others. So I think there's this element of love, and love goes a little bit beyond being selfish and have it be all about me. But then there's really an action, and that action, I believe, is servant leadership. You know, I think it's, again, culture, uh, you know, it's natural for us to want to be top dog, to to be the top performer, to be, you know, the top in our industry. It's, we want to be the, you know, the top of the totem pole or whatever it might be. We want as much as we can get whenever we can get it, but, but it's one thing to, to love and to serve other people because in God's kingdom, it's reverse. God's kingdom is not like the kingdom on here on earth. It's not like the culture. It's completely different. And everything that Jesus did, he models this. And if we go back to Philippians, it says this charge to us, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Because listen, please listen, though he was God, he was God. He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Please, if you don't get anything out of this message today, would you get this? We need to understand that our God, the all-powerful, almighty, all-knowing, the creator of heaven and of earth, the one who gives us the very breath that we breathe, the one who spoke the sky and the stars and and heaven and earth into existence with his word. You see, he left the divine privilege of being worshipped in heaven. Jesus was in heaven. He was being worshipped by the throng of angels. And it said that he left that and he stepped into this earth, this the earth that he created, full of sin. Sin that we brought in. You see, Jesus, or God had a standard at creation. He said, this is the standard, and and we went our own way. We chose to do opposite of God's standard. And you know what? The Bible says that because we made that decision, the wages of that decision, the payment for that decision is death, eternal and spiritual. But you see, God loves us so much that he left humbly as a servant the confines of heaven. He stepped into earth, and he took sin upon him so we could be in relationship with him. Please understand the weight of that. Please. God didn't just stay in heaven and say, you messed up. You're going to have to pay for that consequence. You are separated from me forever. No, what he did is he did the only thing that could fix our relationship. He came, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus in the flesh. And he lived and he modeled love and service. You know, I... I think uh, of when Jesus was uh, with his disciples and he was teaching them and there was a moment where his disciples were saying, because Jesus was now the Messiah and this is what they had been waiting for and and they were ready to rule and reign now that their king was there. And they were saying, Jesus, who is going to be the greatest in your kingdom? Jesus, who is going to be the leader? Who is going to be the top dog? Who is going to to be the one that that is greatest of all of these? And do you remember what Jesus said to to them? He said, literally, he said, to be the greatest is to be the servant of all. You see, what we think is the greatest or the highest or the best, Jesus is saying, no, that's, you've got it wrong. He's saying the greatest of all will be the servant. You know, Jesus didn't just say that. Jesus didn't just say, listen, this is a good teaching nugget for you, and I want you to put this into action. No, Jesus modeled it. 
Remember, if, if you read in John 13, Jesus, he's out performing miracles, and they're going from city to city, and, and, and they're you know, collecting dust. They had sandals, and so they're moving around, and it's not just dust. It's other things, <laughs> and they're very, very dirty. And so as they've been out, and they've been traveling, and they've been pointing people to God and showing them a new way and doing miracle after miracle, it says that they sit down. And you know, Jesus, being God himself, could have said, man, I'm tired I need someone to wash my feet. Where's the servant? Instead, what he did is he took the role of what would have been known to be the lowest servant in the household, and one by one, he washed his disciples' feet. You see, Jesus models this in his life. And you see, husbands, sons, fathers, you can lead by being a servant. You can lead authoritatively by loving and by serving you can lead people to be fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ by modeling what he modeled for us. And you see, it didn't just stop there. And we'll end, we'll actually end with, with this. Biblical manhood, mature masculinity recognizes that the call to leadership is also a call to sacrifice. You see, yes, serving and doing things that were different and, and loving others, that's one thing. But what Jesus did is he took it to the next step. He actually sacrificed his life for us. He sacrificed his life for you and for me to fix the sin problem that we had. That's a God who loves us. It says in verse 7 and 8, still in Philippians, when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and he died a criminal's death on a cross. A sinner's death, the death that we deserve. You see, Jesus didn't just come down and, and, and throw his divine weight around and say, listen, everyone needs to worship me. Worship me now. No, instead what he did is he said, I'm going to show you how much I love you, that Emmanuel, God with us, is going to give his life, and he's going to do it in the worst way, the only way that could be pay the payment of your, the penalty of your sin. It says that he was beaten, he was mocked, he was tortured, he was humiliated, and the sins of the world laid upon him. And he hung on a cross. And you know what he said? His last words. He said, it is finished. The debt is paid in full. The sin debt is paid in full. So now my people can be in relationship with me. Man, that's the kind of sacrifice that we're called to give in our lives. Now, you know, granted, we live in America and we live in a very privileged society, and, and so chances are we're probably not going to have to give our life of sacrifice. But if it were necessary, would we? You know, John Piper, he's one of uh, an author, a pastor, one of my favorite authors. He, he said this, and, and this just something that hit me and humbled me because I feel like I could work in these areas. He said, you know, it's a, a risk. It's a call, it is a call to risk getting egg on our faces or you know, looking silly or making mistakes or, 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 or whatever it might be. It's a risk to do that, to pray as we have never prayed before. Man, would we pray for our, our families more than we've ever prayed? I think they need it more than they've ever needed it. Would we pray for our spouse? Would we you know, be constantly in God's word? Would we learn what he has to say to us about how we are to live our life so that when we model it, that we're living it, we're pointing them to God's decrees so that they can follow Jesus? And ultimately, 
Would we be ready to lay down our lives the way that Christ did if that is necessary? Listen, every single one of us is in a relationship with a father, with a husband, with a spouse, or whatever it might be. And I believe that God wants to do something in that. If you haven't been leading, this is the opportunity to do that. If you haven't been loving, if you haven't been serving, you can do that now. It may seem like a risk. You may be afraid. You may not feel adequate enough to do it, but I'm telling you, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the grave, if you have put your faith in him, the Bible says that same power lives in us, in the Holy Spirit. And so we have the ability to start leading, leading well in our spheres of influence. But please, don't miss this. In all of this, man or woman, every single one of us have a sin debt. And, and, and the God of heaven and earth, he died for you so that we could be in relationship with him. He modeled love, sacrifice, and servanthood. And the Bible says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he defeated death, that he died for our sins and we repent to him, the Bible says that we will be saved. <laughs> it's that easy. Please do not leave here without making that decision. Let's pray. Father, I... Thank you that you are a God that, that speaks to us through your word still today. Thank you that you're a God of healing and restoration. Thank you that, that you're a God that, that you, uses us and calls us to be a part of your kingdom's purposes. God, wherever we are at today in this place, whatever relationship that is impacted, God, whatever man needs to hear your love and your attention and your direction and your calling upon his life, would you do that so boldly by the power of your spirit, Father? God, let your words speak to them. Lord, again, do what you need to do in marriages and relationships. Do what you need to do in teenagers' lives. God, only you can do the things that you need to do. Would you do that today so that we can be followers of you, fully devoted followers of you, and point other people into a relationship with you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.